Hello, and welcome to Permission to Be. I'm your host, Becca Epley, joined today by my good friend and co-host, Tommy Allgood. Permission to Be exists to be a space of hope for those journeying to find their true, authentic selves. We hope that the story shared here will inspire you on your own journey and help you unlock the permission to be who you have always truly been. Yo, what up, my friends? Welcome to the Permission to Be podcast. I don't think I've ever said, yo, what up, my friends? There you go. That's how we go introduce this today. <laughs> we have a really awesome conversation, and I can tell you that I've just spent the last five minutes getting geared up for it, but I am here with the one and only Becca Epley. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> And today we have the distinct honor and pleasure of stepping into some conversations surrounding art in uh, anti-racism in the art space with our friend Jade Soul Zuberi. What's up, brother? Hello. How's it going? What's good? What's good? <laughs> so uh, Jade uh, is, I'm just going off of his Instagram Um Pro multi artist, anti racism, dismantling white supremacy, mm. decolonization, educator, artivist, yes. warrior of mm. God. Yes, 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 yes. I'm excited, yo. So you put warrior of God first. So, like, yes. what was it? Was there any when you were things? One of the things I already picked up about Jade and because we literally just met five minutes ago. Um, <laughs> he, he, he said this himself. He was like, uh, he thinks deeply about things. So was there any thought of how you ordered these things? Yes. Um, so just right off the bat, like I have to give the, the distinction for those who might listen to this. Um, when I say warrior of God, I, that is disconnected from Christianity or religion. Um, mm. And that's only within the realm of my walk with Christ um, as it just pertains to the lifestyle of dismantling white supremacy and what it means to basically go about a particular life that I am a warrior of light and I'm a warrior of God and wrath and righteousness and humility. Um, again, all separate from religion, right? Because that's all. Yeah. So yeah. for me, it's like, I'm giving these particular tools in whatever way that, that shows up for me. So if, mm-hmm. that, if that's in within sociology and anti-racism, if that's within speaking out about something through my dance, if that's within making my music, my film photography, whatever, whatever way that God talks to me, I'm mm-hmm. going to be that warrior to send that message out. So I'm basically just a vessel within the, on the front lines of doing my justice, however way that I see fit. So love love that definition ah so much Mm, 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 mm. when hearing you say that the and i'm thinking about so many of the people that we've interviewed in the past and i can't help but juxtapose that with sort of my spiritual journey growing Mm. up jehovah's witness um same (laughs) what no way yeah Oh, she's yeah. about to get real, yo. Oh. <laughs> Whatever you have going on yeah. in an hour, you might need to move it. <laughs> Not really. Same. No way. Yep. All right. Well, this conversation just got about a hundred times more interesting. <laughs> no way. Oh, so yeah. that that language, you know, for me, it just carries so much baggage, and so, but people. What I've been noticing is, uh, as I've been having these conversations around anti-racism of late in all the areas that it infiltrates through, but especially art, uh, mm-hmm. when people are using terminologies like worry of God or, or fall over Christ, there's this sort of reclamation that's sort of happening for me in that. And also not just a reclamation, but an expansion mm-hmm. um, to sort of these, my not sort of, but my Africana roots of, you know, like God was so much more expansive than exactly. this version of Christianity that I was yes. handed growing up yes. um, in, in this one way. And and it's even, I, I find it really easy to talk about evangelical Christianity 
because I feel like Jehovah's Witnesses really mimic that, but even though they were a dis- a distinct entity separate from evangelical yeah. Christianity, there's yeah. just so many parallels and similarities in the yeah. fundamentalist aspect of it. Yeah. Um, so tell tell me a bit, or tell our audience, cause, uh, already selfish me. <laughs> <laughs> what has been you you said earlier before we started recording that you've been doing anti-racism education for about a year um and then also talked about like your dance and sort of like people out talking about thinking that you had when you started dancing you were dancing for years and it was something you had just picked up but what has sort of been your journey and especially knowing like sort of this fun like how how steeped in the that religious practice were you and just sort of can we riff on that for a little bit absolutely man okay uh as far as the jehovah witness process um that was short-lived but i do know that was that was a pretty like important staple of mine when i was a kid mm-hmm. um and my my dad was a jehovah's witness and then my mom kind of just fell into it um but i did the whole like knocking on the door process yep. um and that was extremely annoying and i had no idea why i just knew i didn't want to do it um mm. i did the whole standing up and reading from the scripture in a yep. room full of just very stern men and they're like very appropriate wives and um even that felt weird to me and i couldn't really put my finger on why i just knew i'm like i don't want to do this um so yeah it just felt really weird and then i once my parents split that obviously meant that had to split for me so i didn't really partake in that anymore and then i transitioned over to like christianity christianity with my mom and then we started going to church and everything and that was more like every sunday you wear your sunday best and i was like do i have to wear this like i don't feel like wearing these clothes you know like especially if i feel obligated to do it yeah um, yep and just notice how even some of the kids there were like some of the were like some of the adults too and i'm like you know what? i just go outside and play mm-hmm. you know so it was just those things it just was kind of just always in my space and that that was a pretty that was like the bulk of my like younger years um and then i started realizing once I started going to this other church called Word of Faith, and back when I lived back in Detroit, which is where I'm from, um, and that was that was like the staple of everything. And I just noticed how people's behaviors were. Um, and it just didn't really it just didn't really work with me. And then it wasn't until I graduated back in 2010 uh, from high school, and then that's when I started kind of breaking away from social norms, um, mm-hmm. and then started educating myself on things that I wasn't never educated on either within the household I grew up in or within the schools that I grew up in. Because most of the schools of my life were predominantly white. And yeah. then it was my high school that became very multi multiracial. You know, like we had a lot of Lebanese people, um, mm. some Asians, mostly blacks, and then mostly white. So it was like the three of us that was in mm. high school. Um, because Dearborn Heights within Michigan has like a very heavily like Lebanese culture uh, of people. So that was just something I always knew. And then once I started hearing like certain terms like cultural appropriation um, and then started digging a little bit more inside of, this was back in like 2011, and started doing more research on the histories of like Thanksgiving. um, Mm -hmm. That's when I was like, oh, so this holiday isn't real. So already I started having some reservations about that. Um, still celebrated out of obligation because I didn't move out of my house yet. So I still just celebrated because my family did it. But I kind of already started asking those questions to myself of like, okay, so this holiday doesn't, it's not really a thing. And then started looking at other holidays of like, so is, is Easter real now? You know, and then yeah. with that, you know, uh, even Black History Month of like, why is why is it why is it only jammed into a month? So I just started forming all these different all questions. on your own, all on my own. Like no one, I didn't have a fellow like Malcolm X. I didn't have a fellow person that was like a, a, a MLK that was in my ear. All of these questions were literally formulating on my own, 
just from me having my own like mind now once I got yeah. away further, further away from social norms. So I just started yep. realizing that things just weren't making sense to me anymore. And then wow. I started questioning um, even like Christianity. I was like, okay, Christianity doesn't really make sense either. I was like, why is it that we have to abide by a book on when it's right to have sex? You know, and then <laughs> I even fought with my mom about dating someone that was like twice my age and I was, and it was legal, you know, and totally mutual. And I was just like, She's really pushing like religion onto me. And I'm like, well, hold on. Like, shouldn't we be with who we feel we're drawn to? You know, so then I had that whole fight with my mom. It was just, we just started bumping hands the older I got um, Mm. with just social norms. And then it wasn't until I moved back in 2000, I think 15, moved down to California for my first time. And I moved in, uh, you know, to my partner's house that I'm still with now. We're in a a rich relationship and uh, we've been together for five years. Yeah, and she was even different too. Like she, you know, was was bi, you know, and and even within that, I was like, oh, this is like my first relationship with someone that had another relationship with the opposite sex, yeah. you know. So I just started diving into things that totally went against what I grew up around. So yeah. it was way easier for me to start questioning things now. And then I started developing more relationships with indigenous people and natives. That that mm. then started to have me look more inwardly to my heritage. And I was like, oh, I'm I'm like actually indigenous as well, Afro-native of Blackfoot, you know, and I think even Cherokee. And then I started doing even more research about my, you know, ethnicity as well. And that gave me even more a uh, bigger sense of like who I am in the world. Yeah. And then it wasn't until I moved to Arizona that I think that was around maybe 2016 or so with my partner. And then that's when everything started really shifting in a major way. Um, in 2016, I've always been outspoken. So that isn't something that's new. Yeah, I've always yeah. been outspoken. I've always been someone that has ruffled feathers, even within my own household with my mom. We bumped heads yeah. a lot, you know, and that got me into a lot of trouble. But I was like, man, at the end of the day, if you have a question, you should ask it. So mm, yeah, it just wasn't always well received. But so I've always been outspoken, and then it wasn't until 2016, once we moved to Arizona, that's when I really started doing more research into the history of Thanksgiving. And then that's mm-hmm. when all of the other killings were happening, like Trayvon Martin and Tamir Rice yeah. really started to surface. Mm-hmm. And then I was just like, oh, this is actually like racism, you know? Um, and then that really started to surface more inside of me. And I was like, why the hell are we being killed for no yeah. reason? Yeah. Um, then I was like really scared to even drive because I'm like, if I'm knowing that people like Philandro Castle are being killed in their own car, you know, or people that are sleeping, I can't remember his name, but people who are falling asleep and then they're just shot a whole bunch of times. Like, why would I feel safe driving? You know, mm-hmm. so all these other questions started happening. And then I started speaking more about that into the dance community. And then once that happened, other, other intersections started happening. And that's when cultural appropriation started to resurface for me. And then I did way more research on Thanksgiving. And I was like, oh, so it's not really at all. And it was actually covering up what happened to mm-hmm. my fellow natives and ancestors. And I just stopped celebrating it. And obviously that ruffled a lot of feathers back home in my family. And I was like, well, you know, at the end of the day, this is my choice. So you're either with it or you're not. Um, and then yeah. that's when I broke off with Christianity finally. Um, once I realized that that was something that was also created to control us. Um, and I was like, I'm not breaking off the relationship with God, you know, but because God is anything we want them to be, you know, um, but it's mm-hmm. more of like it's a principle for me of what I go by, you know, mm-hmm. um, and something a means for me to follow in a way to keep me in check without it perpetuating white supremacy. So mm-hmm. the rest is pretty much history. And I've just been speaking up about injustice, racial injustice and civil rights since 2016. And it wasn't until last year that I dived into anti-racism due to another partner that is by that I was with and she was inside of anti-racism. She was white, but she was a student of it. And then she brought me inside of that. And I was like, Whoa, this is amazing. Like I had no idea this term even existed. Um, and then mm. after that, I was like, okay, this is, this is what I need to do. So mm. here I am. Uh, oh my gosh. So <laughs> I, I, one, I feel a lot of parallels in your story. 
and as I've been sort of processing my deconstruction and sort of what I would, I guess, my current awakenings, the things that I'm awakening to right now, I've gone back to begin start start questioning because I was raised up as a Jehovah's Witness and in like full throat it bought into it was like yeah. in high school auxiliary pioneer which is like going door to door putting in like 50 hours and I was working on being like a regular pioneer put 70 hours a mm. month knocking on doors trying to like wow. convert people um <laughs> Yeah. Like I actually Mm-mm. enjoy getting up on stage. They called it the theocratic ministry school and this, they trained you to evangelize and to go mm-hmm. out and preach and give you scripts and to how mm-hmm. to like, if people didn't want to hear about you, here are some things to maneuver around how like p- people's objections and conversation right. stoppers. And here's how you reason from the scriptures. And so like this ingrained, like, and so when you were saying that, I feel like that set me up though to ask questions. I, I feel like I've never been discouraged from asking questions. I've mm. been cautioned where I find the answers to the questions that I asked from that. But I feel for me, like growing up, it, it instilled in me like this vociferous thirst for knowledge and yeah. for study and, and to like uncover things that I don't understand. Mm. So I remember, and for me that like my trajectory was awakening to my queerness mm. and praying the gay away and under, trying to be like all right god why can't i why is it bad that i feel these things when like i've felt these things as long as i can feel these right. things we're, right. we're mm-hmm. trying to yeah. like find, find things to put onto it and i think the detriment to that for me is that i grew i feel like i grew up pretty colorblind and wait because of the way that the organization is structured yep and um, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that in this iteration because, like, the experiences of being able to travel internationally and meet somebody of a similar faith, and you are automatically share that bond. Like, I've lived right. that and I've experienced that, and so it's like, yeah. what it feels like in some ways they they live as where the goal is when we talk about the work of anti racism mm-hmm. in terms of this unity. But yet, and still, I see the oppressive structures and influences of white supremacy yep. um, guiding and dictating who's in and, and who's out. Yeah. Um, and so I guess I, the long way of saying it, I thought I was like, I wonder if there was if that foundation sort of set you up for the way in which you study and and consume information mm. and, and motivate you because i feel like i've always had this strong sense of justice and i've always like and the thing for me it was really difficult to stop believing in god but the god that i knew had to transition and change right, right. <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely man that's a oh that's that's a complex question um but it's a great it's a really great question though um yeah i mean i never thought about it like that it it possibly could have you know been a a foundation i i do know like as far as my background goes i've been dancing for over 10 years um and i i started dancing i started dancing not necessarily on a serious level but to the point where i could intentionally want to dance ever since third grade so Mm. i pretty much became very popular you know because the schools that we had all the way to fourth grade and then we transitioned to another school and that was middle school fifth to eighth and then went to another school that was all in the same county and then that was from ninth to tenth or ninth to twelfth um so basically my whole reputation from dance carried me the entire way all the way until i graduated high school mm-hmm. so as far as that discipline went for me I don't even know where it came from. I just know anything that I feel natural doing, even though I'm uncomfortable in it, if it feels natural for me, I'm going to put all inside of it. And that's what I did with dance uh, because it felt so natural. I didn't really have to think about it. You know, even though I have my points of like having to really push through to get to the next level, you know, and being uncomfortable in many, many phases of my dance career, it still always felt natural for me. And I think that's the exact same thing that I feel now 
within anti-racism and decolonization work is that it just feels natural. You know, like the fact that any anybody can say to me, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm just like, okay, cool. You know, like it just has no effect on me. I don't have to look like, maybe I don't. Like, nope, because I understand I, I've done hours and hours of studying. Like I have a mentor, you know, who's been in this work way longer than I have that I can turn to if I need counsel. You know, like mm-hmm. there's tons of other black powerful women that I follow within this work that yes. I know mm-hmm. yes. share the exact same, you know, uh, method of things where I'm like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I'm on the right path. So yeah. if someone just comes along and tries to derail me off of it, I'm, I'm way too unfuckable for that. Mm. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. because it, just, it feels too natural. So I'm like, mm-hmm. and that's cool, great. Next. I hope I answered your question. <laughs> you did, and I mean, there's, there's yeah, every question that you answer. Like, there's a hundred different directions that I feel like I could, I could, go with it. And, <laughs> okay. and like, I'm really, con- I'm trying to be conscious. Like, I don't want to like dominate the conversation. So, <laughs> I'm just gonna see if you would riff a little bit more on specifically anti-racism and the dance community and how that melds together in your life. Yes, absolutely. I mean, as as far as I know, from last year, you know, being inside of being inside of speaking about racial injustices and the civil rights movement, I understand that I was doing some type of impact all the way from 2016. You know, like I've created a few projects. I've been a part of some, you know, theater shows, you know, that really shed light within a very dance and physical manner. But it just didn't feel enough for me. I didn't really feel like it was really Mm -hmm. making a dent so it wasn't until i got you know aware of what anti-racism was that that really shifted my mentality in general of like oh okay so i was doing like a form of the work but it wasn't really making people uncomfortable you know um so once i got into that then you know as people say like once the the veil is lifted you can't unsee so exactly and i dove into terms like microaggressions and things like what it means to be colonized, anti-blackness, mm. internalized racism. I was like, holy shit, like this is everywhere in the dance community. So <laughs> I couldn't unsee it. Um, so it just showed up everywhere. Like I, I felt mm. like, I don't know if you've ever seen Daredevil, the old the, the old movie with Ben Affleck, but mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. once he figured out his senses, he couldn't unhear things. Like it was almost like, damn, like things just sound way louder to me now because he can't see. So yeah. he had to go off this his other sense. So that's literally how I feel and felt once that veil was lifted. Mm. I can have conversations with people and then literally see like, oh, that was racist. Where maybe five years ago, I'd be like, oh, that wasn't racist at all because I didn't even know that something could be racist if it wasn't overt. You know, so right. now I'm like, oh, this is totally different. So once now I have this knowledge, I'm like, okay, if I have this knowledge and I know that I'm in two different communities, it's my job to be able to bridge the gap of that. So yeah. that way I can really start to benefit and, and really give back to the community that has given so much to me. And not only that, but also give back as much as I can to my, my people, you know, mm-hmm. and the people that I represent in a way that mm-hmm. they can truly be liberated and that we're not, we're not taking things because we feel like that's all we have. We're not creating things because mm-hmm. we don't care. Mm, yeah. yeah it's so i think for me like what i've what i've noticed for me in my and as i've engaged in a lot of this work is waking up to how language shifts and flows through time yeah. and i felt i was in that trap of looking at racism in one way as sort of this good bad binary this this yep. thing that yep you know, is solely based on how you treat a person. And mm-hmm. what the work has done for me is help me to look at systems critically. Yes, yes. And because like it's understanding that as we talk about it today, racism it is systemic. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And and I think what we tend to do is we forget origin stories. Mm-hmm. Our history of and our narrative tradition is so profound and so powerful because it always reminds us 
of the origin story. It always reminds us of why we do the things that we do. But I think that white supremacy is so insidious that it doesn't want you to remember its origin story. Absolutely. (laughs) And so now what I'm stepping into, because I, I think for a bit there, I felt a bit burnt out in the work. And what I recognize is, um, and Andre Henry has been really instrumental for me in this, is that the work also needs to be creative. The work needs to be based in art. Mm. And so mm-hmm. I love this term that you have, artivist. Yeah. <laughs> Can you talk yes. more about that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I actually came across the word, I think it was last year, and it was from uh, an indigenous woman that called herself an artivist. I was like, oh, I love that. Like, that's that's perfect. Like, that's absolutely perfect in what I do. But I kept calling myself, I'm an artist and an activist anytime I have to explain what I do or who I identify as. And then once I heard that term, I was like, that's literally both interconnected. But I feel personally, a lot of a lot what goes into my work is I try to bring about a lot of the parallels from anti-racism and artistry. And how just like a lot of us in the dance community will look at art and we're like, wow, we need to do our due diligence on knowing the history of these mm-hmm. dance cultures, right? Like we, we need to understand that there's terminologies if we're going to teach these dance forms, right? So I try to bring that relatability of like, if you're going to be in this work, there is also terminologies you need to know. You know, mm-hmm. like racism, I tell everyone all the time in dance community, racism is a studied field. So you can't really understand it if you don't experience it, if you don't study it, right? So you have to actually be in it to study it so that way you can know how it works and how it doesn't want to be seen. So mm-hmm. I try my best to use all the avenues and gifts that I have, whether it's through music or whether it's through filming and photography, to speak to those things if maybe my words can't get across through that. And then I'll use mm-hmm. my dance to you know, really say what I need to say, but through a physical manifestation. Or maybe I need to produce music and then maybe have a particular way, you know, that I can sift that message through because obviously we're dancers, so we love to dance in music. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you're not really going to hear me talk to you. Then maybe I have to put that message in my music and just play it because mm-hmm. I'm also a DJ. So there's also that, that I can get that out, you know, or if it's maybe through photography of, like, I just made a, uh, a photograph last year and I, it was actually a part of a film that I did called uh, Legacy. And it was a concept video, but I took a photo for the poster. And basically I had my ex-partner, because um, she's a makeup specialist, and I had her create whip marks on my back. Um, mm-hmm. So that way people could see what things would look like in modern times. Um, because obviously a lot of people still think that slavery is like a thing of the past and it's like oh that's a black and white photo yeah exactly so I was like okay what would it look like if it was in color so I did that and then I also made it a concept video where there was flashes of imagery of uh, lynching of our people being Mm -hmm. lynched and then we go back to me being hit by music as like that's what I have to constantly feel when I deal with microaggressions or racism that's more overt you know um and then it quoted James Baldwin at the end of like, yeah, we can't change everything. You know, uh, we can't always change everything, you know, until we face it, you know, that that very like profound quote. Um, and that was something I feel the dance community needs to know, you know, because at the end of the day, the dancers still think that politics don't exist in the dance realm, right? Mm. But I'm like, they literally are very parallel. Like yeah. what black culture comes from is political. Right? Like if we look to hip hop culture in the Bronx, a lot of those projects were burnt down because of racism, right? Yep. So the only way that my people that were pioneers that made these cultures, these subcultures, how they thrived was, okay, cool. We don't have our project. Okay, what else can we do? Let's go to the basketball court and let's create a, mm. a, like a party. Okay, cool, mm. let's do that, right? Let's, let's create these dances because we can't get work. Okay, cool, let's do that. Right? And then you have all these dances that come out that white people just yes. take and then they market and profit off of that on TikTok, right? Which is also very anti-black. And then they just furthermore perpetuate white supremacy, but then all by excluding, oh, but don't keep, you know, don't don't talk about politics and dance though. Like keep politics out of it. Like, okay, but the fact that you're even perpetuating 
or starting to perpetuate. The fact that you're even benefiting off of black art and you're not black is political in itself. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's why I call myself an artivist because I'm using both sides of the coin to share a very powerful message anywhere that I can. What a time to be alive, yo. <laughs> Man, you ain't I never like- lie. <laughs> and listening artist to artist is really easy to understand why we tell story through art, why art is such a powerful medium. But for some <laughs> for the person that might not mm see art in that way what would you say to them well i've definitely been started to dealing with that um ever since i started breaking out more into anti-racism work and like the people that are not artists um you know and of course i get the occasional uh person that wants to constantly just uphold or be willing willfully ignorant and i've definitely had my share of comments told to me of like you're just a dancer you know like you're just doing this for bandwagon reasons or whatever, you know? And for me, I just say like, well, if you don't really understand why I'm doing this in the first place, and you've never really understood why I dance in the first place, you know, and it's the exact same, it's the exact same thing of like, even when we're told, Oh, you're just a basketball player. Like, why are you talking about politics? Why are you talking about racism? You know, not understanding that those things go hand in hand. Yeah, you know, like yep. I cannot be black and also expunge racism and then dribble a ball. Like half the time we're doing that because we can't get accepted into another place of work because of how mm. we look. Yeah. Right. So it's like okay, yep. then we'll turn to something else that we do know that we're natural at. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we'll do that. But it's All not right, like moment. I was like, please don't put me in basketball. Like no, 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 no. They were like, they were like. Tommy, you're six foot two. When are you getting on the basketball team? How about never? I don't ever yeah. want to. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, why do people want to? And I didn't understand. One, I'm appreciating now how how important basketball is to our culture. And at the same time, it is not the aspect of our culture that Absolutely. I am most fond of. Right, I am a right, thinker. Right. I am a musician. <laughs> I am a healer. <laughs> I am clumsy. (laughs) Yo, I can't tell you the amount of times that I've told, I've surprised my fellow, you know, former friends that were white, white passing, that when I tell them, like, I I don't know how to play basketball, you know, and they're like, what? You don't know how to play basketball? I'm like, sorry at this point, I don't. Like, I'm, I'm a football, I'm a track and field runner, but I don't know how to play basketball. Sorry. I have coordination with the ball like that. You know, no, and they're just no. shocked. And I'm like, I'm a dancer. I'm an artist. Like, that's what I thought. Like, we're not monolithic people. Like, all black people can play basketball. Like, no. Or, or that's the only way that you can have coordination. That's the exactly, only way. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I've had to, I mean, I um, actually just, I did a live, it's maybe a few lives back, but I did a live, started doing these lives with Twitch. Um, on his IG, you know, because mm-hmm. me and him are, are really, really great friends and he wanted to use his platform to start educating his audience. So he brought me on and it was one quite recently that I was thinking I was talking about the 10 acts of whiteness. And obviously there's way more acts of it, but I was like, for the time's sake, we'll just name 10. So yeah. I did that. And at the end of it, the thing that I really specified on was how white people will use the whiteness of speaking and trying to minimize blackness by saying you're only this so don't speak about this and Mm -hmm. i had to tell his audience Mm -hmm. like you have to stop telling twitch that he's just a dancer Mm -hmm. you know you have to stop putting him inside of a box as if if we do this particular occupation and we're successful at it that then all of a sudden makes us immune to experiencing racism it doesn't work that way right so i was like regardless if we have Obama as our president, regardless if we have Denzel Washington as one of like the top tier actors, right? Like regardless if we have Viola Davis as one of the top tier actors, 
it does not exclude us from experiencing racism all of a sudden because now we're successful. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was like, you have to stop doing that because that is extremely violent because that means you're only picking the particular parts of blackness that make you feel comfortable. That yep. make you entertained. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because yep. you know that if you look at the whole spectrum of blackness, you're then going to be confronted with a few of those uh, particular things that get brought up. So you only want to pick apart the things that you don't have to deal with because you know what they're associated with. I'm like, it just doesn't work that way. Tokenism's more comfortable. Absolutely it is. Absolutely mm-hmm. Yep. 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 White people, we like our comfort. We need to step out of that. Mm. Yes. I, I see that, that made me start to wonder sort of like, I'm not a historian, but like the origins of when, at what point then we, we start reducing people in, into this one thing or, or to their career pathways or whatever the thing, that one thing that we see that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, I was just like, we've never had the luxury of being one thing. We've always, we've always had to be nurturer, mother, father. We've always had to be cultivator, of of the field we've all had to be maker of our own destiny we've had to be the rebuilder you know yeah. i'm just so curious I, I feel as i'm beginning to dig into capitalism and its links toward towards racism a lot more I, I think capitalism thrives on funneling you into this one thing or or into this thing that you produce Absolutely. yes yeah. uh-huh. right? yeah. and so and that is because we live in such a consumer culture, it's so easy to quantify or, uh, or or summarize people into the thing it is that they are they produce. Yeah. And so, for me, I'm wondering if a key component of this anti-blackness or, or dismantling white supremacy for white people it is expanding how they see people. And and I firmly believe that we have roles to play and like you use the term vessels, right? But I I think about Jesus, Jesus played many roles, right? Jesus was comforter, Mm -hmm. Jesus was healer. And we fix ourselves into these roles, but I think it's important in this work to know what is the role for the appropriate time, (laughs) right? We are dynamic beings. And I think that's the beauty of art is that art is dynamic. It teaches you to flow. It teaches you to to improvise. Yeah. Um, but to be a part of the ensemble, uh, to tell this beautiful story. Yeah. And if we could only take that, what art gives us, and apply it into our everyday normal lives and recognize that we are all one ensemble, I'm like, oh my gosh, what what could we be creating? We are here to create. And I, I like rooting into white supremacy squashes out yes. what we are naturally here to do in exactly. that creation. <laughs> yeah, it is. The colonized white church that started this country doesn't want you doesn't want people to be creative, doesn't want people to evolve and move past. And so I think they I mean, there's the very roots of that capitalism, other than the deep-seated greed, is yep. the fact that if we don't think for ourselves and we don't challenge or evolve, and so I really think this is a gift that you had to just, like, start thinking on your own. Like, that is an amazing, I don't know what else to call it, but a gift, because there's so much of white supremacy for white people that we are just on this track of let's not expand our knowledge let let's stop because we're afraid because that's comfortable because that's and this is i really have this gut feeling that this really sends back to the settlers coming over and feel and because they were mistreated and the way the actions that were placed upon them they are just cycling they're just cycling it through and it is cycled through all of the generations and it has never healed and we keep hurting other people because our ancestors i'm going to put quote air quotes you can't see me friends um hurt and that's not a justification that's needing to own our roots and how far it goes back we're just what are we afraid of 
Dr. Shanika Walker Barnes said that until white people can accept who they are, how did she say it, Tommy? I'm butchering this. Do you remember what I'm saying? <laughs> Not on the spot, no. <laughs> but she she said until white people can ex- until we can accept who we are, black people won't be free because we are. Until white people get free, black people can't get. Free. Thank you. That's much more fluid. And so it. <laughs> And it's not because we, white folks, it's not because we need to have it first. It's because we live in a supremacy culture. And we, what I love about uh, somatics when we talked with Aaron is we have to start sitting in our bodies. And the church has taught us not that our bodies are sinful and evil. And if we can't start sitting within our bodies, nobody's going to get free. Until we start making those connections. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, even to kind of expound on that, um, I think it's just because we we live in in such a conformity, you know, reality and society where if you are seen as better than then you become not a part. You know, I mean, even look at Mm, how we look at some of the celebrities, you know, there's tons of times where we have kind of accepted celebs to not be human because mm-hmm. yes. they just aren't, they don't operate like us. So understand that we start to kind of dehumanize them and even how we idolize them. And that's yep. something that I constantly have to recheck of like, no, they are human. So they're going to fuck up occasionally, you know, because mm-hmm. they're humans. And I actually had to speak on, on this about the whole Will and Jada thing of like, I was seeing a lot of my people, try to run Will's name through the mud, you know, of like joking on him, you know, or both of them actually. And I'm just like, yo, like, is that really productive? You know, like these are, these are two people who very much love each other, who chose to put their business out there on a public platform. Mm -hmm. And it's not like these people are not known. Like they're probably some of the most famous people that we know. I don't think they can go anywhere in the world and no one, doesn't know who they are. So mm-hmm. I think that in itself speaks to their vulnerability. So it's like the least we can do is offer up some safe space for them and not run them through the mud. But if we're not looking at them as humans, then we're going to do that just off GP because we don't yeah. see them as one of us. We see them as, oh, they're celebrities. So we can just make fun of them because then it just takes more attention away from our own insecurities, right? So mm-hmm. therefore, it's going to put them on them. And I think mm-hmm. this is something that we constantly perpetuate with anyone that seems to break away from the norm. It's something that I personally am facing right now in the dance community because I speak up so much. You know, so mm-hmm. therefore people think that I'm better than them because I speak up so much. And it's like, no, no, no. I actually believe in humanity so much that I'm going to speak on it every time that I see that we as yeah. humanity are self-defeating our, ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we're not being authentic. I can't truly love you if I don't call out your shit. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, like yeah. how does that work? You know what yeah. I mean? So I can't allow that to happen. So this is something I'm constantly facing because people do hold me at a very high standard. So now if they see me mess up once with one mistake, they're like, oh, I knew it. He's not legit. He's a false idol and all this other shit. I'm like, wait, really? This, this is what we're doing. This is, this is where we're going. To get vulnerable for a second, for you personally and doing that, I I find myself uh, transparently editing my words a lot uh, <laughs> before or filtering through, you know, filtering through in my brain and refining yeah. them before they even come out of my mouth, which to, to a degree is a, is a good thing. Absolutely. Um, but also I, I think it can inverge in the space of, of oppression um it can mm-hmm. when it gets to the point to where you're so afraid to speak up or so afraid to make you you can't live authentically you can't yeah. like we learn by failing for it we learn by making exactly. Exactly. mistakes mm-hmm. and i wonder if like i appreciate call out culture i appreciate calling culture i mm-hmm. i think those things are needed especially when it's in relation to speaking truth to power but i think there are some people with nefarious purposes that are weaponizing that culture yeah. um in a sense to 
to silence voices. And so I think about the effects on a person's mental being, their mental Mm -hmm. health. When one's life is one position to disrupt the dominant Mm -hmm. narrative, what does self-care look like for you in those spaces? It's wild that you just brought that up because I recently went through that of someone who is a Black brother who um, in a dance community that just tried to vilify me um, because I speak out so much and started calling out his own friends due to like, misogyny and sexual assault, you know, allegations and racism, mm-hmm. like the whole nine. And they didn't like that. So they he very much tried to call me out if, you know, as he put it, but really did it in a way that was very much vil- you know, uh, vilifying and trying to run my name through the mud, you know, so mm. it just created way more division and the very thing, and this is how I know it was not authentic because the very things that he thought that I was doing to his friends, he actually perpetuated to me. Mm. So all of the very much like divisiveness he then created with him saying that he thought that I was being divisive, which I've never once canceled anyone ever. And all of my call out videos I've made, I've never once like canceled them. I've always gave them steps on how to do better. I've always mm-hmm. told them you need to get mm-hmm. action. I've always said, this is how you can be a better person. Right. And I've always told, and I've always spoke to and made sure that I spoke to the actions that they did and never them as a person, mm-hmm. you know, so that way I'm not dehumanizing them. So well, so it's also, I think there's a point, too, where we have to recognize that actions become the human, right? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. yeah. That, that is true. That is true, yeah. And so I, I think there's, it's so, what I appreciate about the anti-racist conversation is the nuance. You cannot be anti-racist without being nuanced, without rooting into paradox, without rooting into reparation restoration <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and yeah. so what I, and i think about this you know in terms of adrian marie brown's um emergent strategy in in one-on-one relationship when there's something broken there, there has to be repair uh as we make mistakes yeah. what yeah. acts mm-hmm. do we engage upon repair and i think we've settled into a culture of and, and this gets into the, that aspect of white supremacy that is perfectionism. Perfectionism doesn't allow people mm-hmm. to fail forward, doesn't allow exactly. people to make mistakes, doesn't allow right. people to step into that authentic growth. Mm-hmm. And so it says because you, right. you because you fucked up, you no longer be deserve to be heard. Right. And and yep. that the, who of us doesn't fuck up? Who you know who who has no right. saying cast up first stone? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, yeah. And, and so I just, I think about that as black, you, you know, you and me as black men, we have male privilege. And mm-hmm. so there is aspects that we have to constantly, you know, one of the things I'm always worried about is, am I talking too much as it relates to like, is Becca engaging of, am I, you know, am I talking right, over, right, like right, those right. are things that I have to be aware of, the tone Absolutely. of my voice. And we're not exempt from the work. And so when people call us out, it's like, what is our our disposition? Are we wanting to improve ourselves? Because if if I'm going to position myself as someone advocating for anti-racist, and and I tell people this all the time, anti-racist is anti-sexist, is being Mm anti-homophobic. It's not just about... anti-white supremacy. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's that's a perfect way to, to even state it because that's something that has very much opened my eyes to even intersectionality once I got into that work of mm. anti-racism. I was like, oh, this is why trans people feel so oppressed. Like, okay, now I can get on board with that. Right? Mm. Like, oh, this is why it's called the LGBTQ+. Okay, now I can get on board with that. Like, it just mm. gives me so much context to actually have and then it sends me down that rabbit hole. And sends me down mm-hmm. that rabbit hole, and I'm like, "Oh, word! Okay, now I, I can really get on board with all these things because now everything has been lifted." So I think even inside of that, like for me, you know, like someone, the same guy, did try to bring up very old, outdated news about me and views that I had about the LGBTQ when I was still Christian, right? But then what he failed to realize was 
that was years ago. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you know what? That is something that was true. So I will clean that up. And I made a public video about it, you know, in regards to the LGBTQ plus. And I was like, I just want to let y'all know, I stand in solidarity with you all, period. Right. And I was like, yes, I might have had views in the past because I was Christian then, but obviously I do not have those same views now, you know, uh, so that way there is no confusion. But I think if there is any type of truth to something like it's, if anything, it makes us a better person to have to hold ourselves accountable so that way we can show up in the work and lead by example as well, because we can't expect other people to be vulnerable if we're not being vulnerable ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's, I feel like that's another part of supremacy culture, the fact of, well, you were all, you were X at one time, so you must still be X now, and there's no way you could have evolved past um, X, Y, Z, you know, like, yep. it's that mindset, we have, we have to start breaking down that mindset. And of course, you know, and I'm sure he had no view of that as supremacy culture, no, you know, but that's just this culture, this American Western culture that we live in. It's yep. so ingrained. Yep. Um, it's literally what we learned, you know, and I had a conversation uh, with my half brother, actually last night through text because I called him out on his homophobia, you know, cause I shared a picture of three guys and you know, I was pretty intimate, you know, and he's like, Oh, this looks suspect. And I was like, what do you mean by suspect? You know? So we had to, we had discourse about that. And, you know, like at the end of the day, I thought he would have been open to receiving some knowledge, but he wasn't, you know? And at the end of the day, he's just like, dude, like first you were dancing and now you want to be a freedom, freedom fighter. And he's like, pick a lane, bro. You know? So I'm just like, you don't get Why it. Why can't and they be in the wanna... same lane, bro? <laughs> right, exactly. So I was like, mm. you don't get it. Like you, you look at things from a very binary option of like you're either this or you're this. You can't be both. You know, so I'm like, it's cool. Mm. But, uh, you know, mm. so, I don't know if you're familiar with Richard Rohr, but he like that was that's been really instrumental. I, I don't know if I, I consider myself Christian. It depends on who's asking some days. Um but like he talks about and really breaks down the, the this notion of duality um in beginning to step outside of living in a non through a non-dual lens. Mm-hmm. Out, stepping outside of the lens and i love that saying like beyond the boundaries of right and wrong there's a field and i'll meet you there mm-hmm. and that's the space I that, that i that i find that traction i probably just butchered that quote but we're gonna go with it for the sake <laughs> hey, of what i love it. I love it. <laughs> it, works. it landed it definitely landed but i want to honor that fact that you don't identify as christian anymore and recognize that we typically ask guests at this point mm-hmm. about like what salvation means to them. And that definitely carries a, a theological deliverance from sin and its consequences type of thing. But I want to ask you something similar because for me, salvation and liberation are sort of going hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but in your art, not but, and, so in your art, uh, and through this journey, as you're doing this work within yourself, uh, within your community, mm-hmm. how are you finding and experiencing liberation? It's something that I constantly battle with on a daily basis. There's, there's still so much deeply rooted internalized racism within that I have to constantly check, break away. So there's times where I get into spaces and I know that I'm in the right. I know that I have the right to be angry, but I still have to fight my my other consciousness that is trying to assimilate. I still have to fight. You better talk about some W.E.B. Du Bois double (laughs) consciousness right now. I still have to fight with that to say to myself, it's okay to be angry. It doesn't matter if they didn't see the journey that you got to be angry in the first place. You know the journey you got to, to be angry in the first place. And that's all that matters. And that the people that really want to see that journey, they're going to be with you. So for me, I start, I now start boiling it down to my real friends are always going to show up in the face of uncomfortability. Closer.
It makes me think about uh, Dr. Patrice Berry's. Did you watch her today, Tommy? Oh, yes. Do you know who Dr. Patrice Berry is? I don't. I don't. She will. Uh, I need you to a- follow her on Facebook. And I, like, it, I don't know what your meditative practice is, but if you need an online black mama to speak into your soul every morning. <laughs> like she's healing like literally like i right. told tommy like i feel like she's like otherworldly like yeah. it's I'm, I'm gonna hit y'all up and white people white people please yes. don't call yeah. please don't I'll, call I'll her black you. mama please don't call her black mama oh, white people. No, don't <laughs> there. that is reserved for for people oh. for, for uh, black folks for us young <laughs> black boys that need our black mamas Yes. To make us stay on the straight and narrow. Okay? She's Dr. Patrice Berry to you all. She's a brilliant woman, doctorate, social work. Like, she's just brilliant. Mm. The way she communicates, mm-mm, mm. it, it just, it just, it, well, it actually, it brings, it brings healing no matter what she's talking about. Like, I, I've just, Tommy introduced her to me only like two or three weeks ago. And, mm. The reason I bring her up is she was talking about people's stories today. And she always has these amazing life experiences to share it through that lens. But just how we don't know. We don't know people's stories and why they why they do and act in a certain way. Right. And don't judge it because they could be that could be what's bringing them something little happiness or knowledge and we don't have the right to ever step into that and say that those things are not happening for that person. Well, friends, you literally have only gotten a piece of soul um, <laughs> because he's an artist and he's a, a, so much of the art is visual. And so, soul, how can mm-hmm. people get to know you, see your work, be blessed by you, uh, see how... God is using you as a vessel these days. Well, I have three IG accounts that I share, and they're all different. Um, the first one is my main page, which is Jade Soul Tuberi. Um, so that is where I do the bulk, or not the bulk, but most of my anti-racism work on there, as well as sharing a lot of my dance footage as well, artistry. Um, the second page I have is underscore J-A-Y, S-O-U-N-D, that's J-Sound, um, and that is my music page. It's dedicated to music, and I just started recently promoting, once again, anti-racism work through there and finding ways to kind of like tie those things together. And then the last page I have is my photography film page, and that is J.Zuberi underscore. Yeah, that's where a lot of my cinematic knowledge goes to, mm-hmm. um, where I tell stories through pictures and film. Yeah, I do have a Patreon, which that's on my main page and my link tree. So if any of you want, listening, if any of you want to follow, I do all of my main work within decolonization and anti-racism work on my Patreon, from videos to articles to discussions, you name it, webinars, which I just did this weekend. So yeah, that's in my link tree. And mm-hmm. I think that's pretty much it. Um, friends, all of those links will be in our show notes as well. And um, something that we are very big on is that we do highly encourage you to not just consume the gifts that Saul is putting out there. Um, highly encourage you to join his Patreon page. Um, Yes, I'm, I'm doing a really nice white pay the man. So let me let's just call that out about what Give it the is. man your coins. <laughs> he has a Patreon tier of five dollars, and you can do way more than that. But five dollars—that's not even a cup of coffee. You no, know, and you're not getting a cup of coffee because you ain't going nowhere. So, I mean, we're trying to go places, and believe me, I want to go leave my house. <laughs> I can't really go anywhere out here in Vegas. It's too damn hot. Oh, <laughs> I gotta oh. wait. Yes, I gotta wait heat. before it. <laughs> yes, desert heat, and mm-hmm. it's dry. So it's just mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. blood. Mm-hmm. Well, 
Jade. I appreciate you both. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I keep saying Jade, but Jade Soul Soul. You can call me Jade, brother. You can call me. Both of y'all can call me Jade. I know, but I wanna I wanna honor the art. I I wanna honor the art. I I appreciate that. that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you the next time you come back to talk to us. Because there will be a next time. (laughs) Right? Because this was just like the tip. Like there's so much more. We gotta do a part two. Yes, definitely, definitely. Much respect to both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Permission to Be. I'm your host, Becca Epley, and thank you to my good friend and co-host, Tommy Allgood. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and you'll never miss an episode. If you would leave us a rating and or review, we are always looking for more and more ways to hear from our listeners. You can find the links for today's guest in the show notes located at BeccaEpley.com.